All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am Jay Taylor, and I'm speaking to you from New York City on this, the 10th day of November 2020. And uh, do you like to remind you, I publish a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com. Uh, also like to encourage you to consider signing up for Chen Lin's letter, What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? Go to ChenPix.com, ChenPix.com to sign up for Chen's letter. He certainly would have a lot to tell you about the biotech sector these days with the uh, COVID uh, vaccines and so forth. Chen is keeping up with all the players in that field. Uh, very exciting if you have the time to follow it. And uh, if you're a serious investor, you might want to consider signing up for Chen Lin. And uh, Michael Oliver is with us today, who I always like to remind you, it's OliverMSA.com, OliverMSA.com for Michael's excellent work. Never have I found a better chartist, another, a better technical analyst for my purposes, at least as an investor, than Michael Oliver. And that's why we love to have him with us. And he'll be with us in just a few minutes from now. And I want to thank all of you for listening, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. And please send along any comments, whatever they may be, send them along to questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions at number four, Taylor at gmail.com. Our sponsors for today, which make this show possible Benchmark Metals, NV Gold, Hannon Metals, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Sitka Gold Corp., Lion One Metals, Grand Portage, GMV Minerals, and SK Mining Corp. Before I begin talking about today's show, I uh, want to tell you about a video interview that I did with Ben Slager. He is the CEO of Alliance Bioenergy. Now, this is a company that trades in the United States under the symbol A-L-L-M. The stock is selling at a mere $0.08 a little while ago when I checked on it uh, here in the United States. The company has a greatly de-risked proprietary process of turning any kind of cellulose material into ethanol and do it at a far less expensive cost than the current producers of ethanol, mostly from corn. Uh, importantly, this ethanol is produced from non-food stocks. I mean, there's complaints about ethanol taking away corn, causing corn prices to rise. Uh, so that's this company is able to take any kind of cellulose, including waste material, uh, cellulose waste material, and use it to produce um, ethanol at a cost that's considerably less uh, than uh, than the producers of ethanol from corn. In addition, the company produces a biodegradable plastic byproduct. Now, it's not, it, and um, that is a, a byproduct that should really add to its bottom line and to its profit margins. Now, I, I should hasten to add, this is this company is not currently in commercial production. It is on its fourth generation 
technology evolution. It is moving forward very well, but I did, as I say, interview Ben Slager. He's had a tremendous track record in the past, successful technology, materials technology companies that he's advanced and taken forward and then sold off to bigger companies. And I think there's, my own opinion is there's a pretty good chance he'll do it again uh, with this company, and that's the reason that I do cover it in my newsletter. So uh, you might want to go to uh, my YouTube channel and view that uh, interview I did with Ben Slager. Uh, it's jtaylormedia.com. Uh, J, J. Taylor Media is the uh, YouTube channel. You can also see it at my website, uh, J. Taylor Media, if you go to the videos uh, page there. I've titled today's show, America's Economy Under Tyranny. Jeff Dice, Peter Ball, and Michael Oliver return this week. Now, Jeff Dice, former boss, Ron Paul, frequently stated that if America remains free, we will be prosperous. COVID-19 has been used as an excuse to remove our God-given rights to assemble, worship, and speak freely, not to mention being forced to wear masks, close our businesses, and stay locked down inside our homes. Strong scientific evidence arguing against existing tyrannical mandates, of course, is not permitted to be heard. It is censored by left-wing, biased left-wing social media monopolies, akin to, in my way of thinking, as one who lived through the Cold War, very much like the kind of censorship that was common in the Soviet Union during those years. I remember reading things in the Wall Street Journal about how the agricultural sector uh, and the government was denying science in order to to uh, continue their uh, the propaganda and to continue their policies. So, so uh, it is of course uh, it is it is only the um, not only it is only the science, and then we hear lots about people saying just follow the science. So the problem with that. Uh, with that mantra is that uh, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. depends on whether it fits. Um, and when it fits, that's fine. When it doesn't, they deny uh, any kind of alternative notions or ideas, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, the climate issues or the COVID or any number of other issues. Um, it seems like politics uh, is being railroaded over the people in many cases uh, to fit the needs of the rulers rather than the, those being uh, the, than the electors. In any event, um, what impact will the loss of freedom, which I, you know, I think it's pretty clear that COVID-19 uh, has cost us tremendously uh, in the in the economy, uh, which is why yesterday, when the news of the COVID vaccine came out, the stock market jumped at the, at the open something like 1,500 points on the Dow. Uh, pretty amazing. So obviously, everybody believes uh, and understands that locking down is an extremely costly event. Although the, the uh, the, the medical scientists seem to, to focus and naturally focus on what they know, that's medical science, but the bigger picture, what is the cost, the social cost, the economic cost, which leads to social problems, what is that is something that isn't really looked at and certainly was not the focus of the Democratic Party as they uh, assured us that they were trying to help us. And uh, you know, I'm not trying to assign any motives, but I think obviously the loss of our freedom, what will it mean and once COVID is taken care of, will there be a return to liberty? Will we, start, will, will we see government step away and return our liberties to us? That's not been the track record of governments in the past. When governments take something, they very rarely uh, allow you to have your liberties back. And, of course, that may go to the, uh, to the Declaration of Independence that told us where our liberties came from. They didn't come from, they did, they didn't come from human beings and from uh, – they certainly didn't come from government. Uh, they come from – from God, or if you believe in 
uh, in natural natural laws, and uh, you can make that case as well. Well, but in any event, we'll be talking to Jeff Dice, uh, Ron Paul's, uh, who was Ron Paul's uh, chief of staff during Ron's run for the presidency. He's uh, head of the Mises Institute. He'll be with us in the second half of today's show. Peter Ball will update us on three exciting gold projects that the company has. Uh, that as NV Gold has that are uh, two of them in Nevada and one up in the Yukon. Very exciting stories. A very very low cap company that I think has extraordinary upside potential. But right now I'm happy to tell you that Michael Oliver is with me and uh, really glad to have him here every other week. And it's always a treat every other week to have Michael. Thanks for being with me again, Michael. Hi Jay. Good to be back. Uh, good to be uh, good to have you with me, and um, I know that you're uh, up there in the clouds, a mile high. You moved up into Colorado somewhere up there in the high elevation, and enjoying a little snow. Um, what about what about this um, equity market? Looks like it's kind of in um, high ele- elevation territory as well. Well, if you'll recall, back in mid-September on your show, I made a comment. It was like a one-sentence comment that. When they do come out with a vaccine, you know, sell it within a week, you'll sell the top. Okay, well, <laughs> it may just be within five minutes of the announcement yesterday you made the high. NASDAQ is a 1,000 points off its high, NASDAQ 100. Mm-hmm. And if it drops about another 400 points below where it is right now, and it's the leader index, it's front-end loaded, 50% of the front-end of that market's made up of five stocks, and everybody can name them. They're all tech-related. If if those leadership symbols break down, then I then MSA argues that forget all your analysis of these other sectors; they will join in to the downside. Mm-hmm. The leaders led the upside; the leaders will lead the downside. Mm-hmm. And I think we're about 400 Nasdaq 100 points away from uh, numbers they don't want to see again. Wow! And it's amazing how rapidly that that rally yesterday failed. And I think yeah. there's a reason for it. And the reason is. The stock market decline that began early this year, there are fundamental underlying reasons for that asset category to go down, aside from the fact that the price is high and it's been up a long time. Uh, you know, that's, that's sort of a subjective thing. But mm-hmm. objectively, fundamentally, it was priced by the central bank. The Fed deliberately drove stock prices up. That was their stated objective. Nervanke made, made a speech and wrote a paper on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they achieved it. And it worked because they started from a very low point. They try, remember, they tried to defend the stock market in 2007, latter half, when it started to get wobbly. 2008, they didn't succeed. The market collapsed. But mm-hmm. finally, it got to a price level in early 2009 in the 600s where the S&P was just, you know, okay, that's, that's cheap enough. It's discounted the bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And therefore, their monetary policy worked, quote, end quote, at that point, uh-huh. and continued to fuel and fuel beyond reality, the stock market rally. During that time, other asset categories were neglected and sold off like commodities, basic real-world things. Uh, I think the shift is underway. We've defined that the Bloomberg Commodity Index has turned. One laggard, and I've watched this one very carefully, within the Bloomberg Commodity Index is the energy complex. Now, natural gas broke out by our metrics a few months ago and is above the breakout levels right now. Mm-hmm. But crude oil didn't. And crude oil-related stock sectors, uh, ETFs that you can monitor, XLE, XOP, OIH, and so forth, are extremely depressed, off the page. I mean, like, you know, the, the, we're never going to need oil again in our lifetime uh-huh. type of chart. 
Uh, oil is turning as far as we can tell, and uh, all it has to do is loiter between now and the end of the month, and it's going to close with the breakout on our quarterly momentum. And if oil joins the Bloomberg, now the oil complex is probably 25 to 30% of the Bloomberg complex. Oh, yes. So uh-huh. it, it's a big component, and it needs to participate, and it is now. The grains have already lifted off. If you look at the soybean charts, they've, they've gone ballistic since we, we turned positive back several months ago. Corn has joined in, wheat's joined in, sugar's joined in, you name it, copper, etc. So we have a commodity explosion. And I think what needs to happen and become apparent to investors is that this is not an economic boom in commodities. It's a monetary situation where assets are being shifted by large investors and funds, at this point in time anyway, out of stocks into things that are cheap and basic and can't go lower. Yeah. And that would be the commodity complex. Mm-hmm. In which case, if you've turned the Bloomberg, as we argue you have, up, and I think it could, it could surge, uh, oh, right now it's 74 is the price of the Bloomberg Commodity Index. We think the next stop might be 110. Well, that's mm. a huge percent wow. move. Wow. Uh, and that doesn't even get it up to high levels. Mm-hmm. But that kind of surge would definitely put wind in the back of gold. And I think there's still this confusion out there among investors about, well, if the stock market goes down, gold's going to go down. Well, Mm-mm. we've reported to our subscribers over the last several weeks going back 50 years in charts overlaying gold, S&P, gold, S&P, gold, S&P, various periods of time covering the 50-year span. And the correlation, the coincident correlation between gold and the S&P is minor. In fact, it's far, far less than a coin toss. Most Mm -hmm. of the time, they're opposite. Mm -hmm. People just aren't aware of that. All they remember are events of recent, like March sell-off, for example, in the gold miners that was coincident with the S&P, mm-hmm. uh, and certain other times of recent years. But the actual, if you go back over 50 years, there's not a good correlation. Mm-hmm. In fact, it's, it's better than odds that gold will be opposite the S&P. Interesting. And that's what we're arguing is about to happen. That needs to be demonstrated to investors, and mm-hmm. I think it needs to be done with a jolt. Mm-hmm. And I, therefore, what we're watching right now is, one, the upturn in crude to help the Bloomberg, two, mm-hmm. a downturn in the NASDAQ 100, mm-hmm. which is the heavily weighted leadership developed economy index in the world. In fact, mm-hmm. there's no developed economy index, whether it's uh, Germany or Japan or the S&P even, that looks anything like the NASDAQ 100. Mm-hmm. It's all been front yeah. and loaded. Yeah. If that guy turns down and we get the Bloomberg to turn up, that's going to shock a lot of people. Mm-hmm. in terms of what the reality is, mm-hmm. namely yeah. asset class shift, monetary policy will drive commodities up mm-hmm. and uh, not help yeah. stocks at this point because they're not cheap anymore. This is not no, 2009. Not. Yeah, oh, they're not cheap. And, and certainly uh, the, the equity markets are, are seem to be pretty unrelated to the underlying uh-huh. earnings and so forth. So it's really been right. a phenomenon of, of monetary inflation. That's pumping and moving things around, and of course we uh, we're we're basically out of time. But that really that that's really what we should be watching then for is that commodity yeah, sector I- and uh, uh, and and just real quickly, Michael, because uh, you know the big hedge fund guys, those guys can do all kinds of things. But for little people, uh, what what is a an ETF they might look at one or two that they might look at for commodities in general? Well, there. I don't want to specify one. Yeah. There, okay. I would go uh, Google it. Look for yeah. commodity index ETFs. Go for yeah. ones that have high volume. 
daily okay. volume because there are a lot sure. of them that have, are fairly illiquid. Mm-hmm. But it's not necessarily that you invest in that itself. That's more of a bellwether of further wind at the back of gold. And mm-hmm. we still think gold will beat commodities on a percent basis. And okay. we also think that silver will be gold. Yeah, oh, that's right. Very volatile. All right, Michael. Well, thank you so much. Always, always great to hear your thoughts and um, your predictions on these things because more often, certainly far, far better than a coin flip, you're right. So uh, thank you so much uh, once you. again for being with us. Okay, folks. Well, we do have to go to break, but when we come back, Peter Ball will be with me, NV Gold. He's going to talk about several things going on. Um, three properties that are seeing the drills turn or will be very shortly, and they're all very exciting, I think, high prospective uh, projects that you might want to pay attention to, especially given the fact that the company's market cap is as low as it is. We'll be right back with Peter Ball. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Noble Resources Corp. trades on the OTCQX under the symbol NSRPF and on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol NVO. Its flagship assets are located in the Pilbara region of Western Australia. Novo has recently partnered with Sumitomo Corporation of Japan to evaluate, advance, and develop the company's Australian gold projects. With over $40 million in cash and $60 million committed from Sumitomo, Novo is well on its way to establishing itself as one of the top junior explorers and developers in Australia. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have with me once again Peter Ball. Uh, he heads up NV, uh, NV Gold, and it's a company that uh, I cover in my newsletter. It is a uh, sponsor of this show. Uh, and it's a very low-cap company with lots of upside potential, which is why I'm really pleased to have Peter here with me. He's had over 30 years of experience as a mining professional, all levels of leadership, uh, engineering, geology. He is... Uh, He's been with some major companies as well, and uh, he really has a great amount of experience. It's just a perfect uh, fit, I think, to head up this exploration company. So um, it's trading uh, NVX in, uh, you can buy it under the symbol NVX in Toronto, NVGLF in uh, in the States as I have purchased it. Uh, Peter can check me on this, but it's 64.8 million shares is what I see and what I'm looking at now. And a price of around 31 cents in Canadian money today, giving it a market cap around 20 million in Canadian dollars. Thanks for joining me again, Peter. Afternoon, Jay. Always a pleasure to join your program. It is good to have you with me. You're not in Vancouver today. You're down there in the Reno office, uh, meeting with a new your uh, your head geologist, who's going to well, your project geologist. I guess you call him exploration geologist, Thomas Klein. 
Maybe we just start out a little bit by talking about him because, you know, nothing is more important than people in every business. But, boy, in the mining business, if you follow people who are successful, you really improve your odds of, of investment success. So maybe you could just uh, tell us a little bit about Thomas. Yeah, uh, thanks, Jay. Thomas uh, just recently joined Indy Gold about a week and a half ago and has been spectacular in getting uh, up to speed on what we're doing. You know, the main reason, uh, of course, uh, getting Thomas on board is to run our programs at the Slumber and Sandy Gold Projects, which we're doing this fall. But a little bit about Thomas. Thomas, um, he has worked globally uh, around the world as a senior geologist, most recently as a leading uh, senior geologist with Newmont, brings a wealth of of knowledge, uh, specifically in Nevada, which is exceptional for um, MV Gold. And again, with, you know, we have 13 projects. We're drilling two this year. He, Mr. Klein, brings two discoveries to his name um, down in Peru and actually worked uh, with Dr. Odin Christensen, one of our lead technical directors on our board. So very pleased. I'm down here in Reno. We've got two drill programs, and I wanted to personally meet him because we hired him virtually after a lengthy <laughs> due to COVID. Yeah. Yeah, as many things are done these days virtually. You know, I, I had mentioned him to, uh, to Quentin Henning this morning, and Quentin said that he also had worked with him at Newmont uh, years ago. So, uh, and and Quentin commented yeah, that he is also he, he is also an outside the box thinker. Um, you know, so Quentin likes that. Of course, that's that's Quentin Henning as well as you know. Um, all right, well, let's talk about a couple of your your projects that you've got going. I mean, there. Three active projects, really, right? So you've got, um, what do you want Absolutely, to talk about first, yeah. San- huh? Sandy? Well, let's see, you know, I'm down in Nevada, so let's start off in Nevada. The reason I'm down yeah. here, of course, to meet Thomas. And again, yes, Thomas is an outside thinker. He doesn't just look at the data we have. He looks at what he's seen on the ground. He's a ground, uh, you know, ground shooting explorationist and very similar to Quinton and Odie, actually. So very pleased for what uh, Thomas is going to bring at that level for all of our projects. So specifically, uh, I'm down here in Reno. I snuck across the border. I haven't been down here for a number of months due to COVID. And we're about to start uh, a couple of drill programs. So we'll start off start off at Sandy, uh, the Sandy Gold Project. We announced a couple, just over a couple of weeks ago, that we we're mobilizing to the site. So we have now completed um, the ground prep, all the pads, uh, prepping our team. And we're just waiting for the drill rig uh, to arrive on site here um, over the next week. So, you know, people might believe we're drilling, but we're just about to uh, on the Sandy Gold Project. And a little bit about Sandy. So I might have mentioned before in a couple of our interviews, Sandy is a project. I'll quickly go over it. Found it in our database. We staked it for $2,000. We have a, uh, a very uh, experienced uh, other um, exploration team that has raised $20 million working around our project. We staked the project the morning of. They staked it the afternoon of. Mm-hmm. So we're chasing some high-grade gold, 10 holes, 500 feet each. Um, it's prepped. It's ready. Historically, had some great intersections back in the 90s. We own 100%. Got it for free out of our database, which we have a wealth of information yet to be tapped. So mm-hmm. that's number one. Uh, we have a great uh, uh, geologist that's been helping bring us the project who's now working with Thomas Klein. Mm-hmm. So Sandy here and uh, the next week is... Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say it's real close to Reno. I think it's along the Walker Lane trend, which is a prolific uh, gold-bearing trend, right? So it's, how close is it to Reno? Absolutely. It's quite close. 
Yeah, it's about an hour. It's just next to the Comstock uh, uh, historical uh, mining area, um, and it's just outside of Dayton or Yarrington. So about an hour from mm-hmm. Reno, so not very far from mm-hmm. here. And uh, mm-hmm. great elevation, great access, and um, yeah, great great little project that may yield uh, some interesting uh, results from our surface work. And we did some geophysics, and you know we're twenty five thousand dollars into the project. Our neighbor has raised twenty million, so we're trying to catch up, and maybe we've got something. Uh, just as good as what they have. So we'll see. But yet to be, uh, the drill rigs will tell us in the next few weeks. And the, All other, right. one, the other interesting project, yeah, absolutely. So the other project, up by Winnemucca. So you head up the I-80, a mm-hmm. uh, couple, three hours north of Reno. Uh, slumber, like I mentioned before, was brought to us by Dr. Quinton Henney. He knew the project. He knew of another historical project called Sleeper. We talked about it before. Sleeper, was one of the highest grade gold projects ever found or mined in, in Nevada. Quinton knew mm-hmm. of another project which we have called Slumber. Same <laughs> rock, same alteration, same geophysical, not geophysical anomaly, uh, historical drilling. Very interesting project, and Quinton think it might be another sleeper. Yeah. Uh, we did some drilling last year, we did some geophysics. The blind holes led us to believe that we're potentially sitting on what we would call more of a hot springs epithermal system at depth just below our drilling from 2019 where we drilled blind. If you mm-hmm. go to a press release from October, November last year, there's a quote from Dr. Henney stating that he believed or we believe that we were just on top of something and we'll have to follow up in 2020. So we came back a little bit delayed from COVID and we um, completed what we call a CSAMT survey which really just goes down and provides uh, some targeting uh, geophysical uh, targets below where we drilled last year. And uh, here we are. And if, if you go to our presentation on our website, slide 14, you'll quickly see that the historical holes from the 90s are holes from 2019. And as you could clearly see, we must have stopped our, our drill hole you know, 50 or 100 meters short of what looks to be a very exciting uh, conductive target. Um, mm-hmm. and if you go there, the conductive is the reds and pinks, more of the hot springs, solidified uh, uh, area on the uh, on the section that's shown on the page. And okay. uh, it's sitting which, there. Which, so, yeah, we're drilling here in a couple of weeks. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which slide was that? Uh, that's on your current deck, right? Oh, and, slide. Uh, which slide? Yeah, current deck updated on the website, slide 14. Okay. It provides a really good indication of exactly how close we were, and if it's mm-hmm. anything like Sleeper, uh, we've got a really good opportunity to make oh, a potential game-changing discovery. Absolutely. For, you know, I was there, um, and I, I, I was there as a lender when I was at Westpac Banking Corp, and I related that to Clinton this morning, uh, and he says, that's amazing. It is, uh, speaking of the Sleeper, it is the same age system and hosted by the same rocks, but we are drilling a blind target. So we will either hit something or not. Geophysics looks great, but the drill bit is proof. So it's you know, and he's obviously he's excited about it, and um, you know, it's it's an option, right? You I mean if you hit, your stock is going to go. It could go bananas. Uh, so anyway, so that's the slumber. Yeah, I think that's really I mean, exciting. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, like you mentioned before at the beginning of, of the program today, you know, we have sixty-four point nine million shares out. If there's anything down there, you know, we've done the due diligence of reviewing historical, doing geophysics, testing it last year, completing new geophysics. 
uh, there's 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 an interesting chance. And yeah, it's interesting when you see Dr. Quinton Henney, Dr. Odin Christensen, John Watson, our chairman, who's also a very uh, respected geologist. They all like it. So uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. Talk. We're actually, I'm down here again. We're, we're heading up to Winnemucca. The guys are putting the pads together uh, mm-hmm. and getting that site prepped for nine holes, 1,000 feet each, testing multiple targets. And uh, like you said, may go bananas, but it's all uh, truth by the drill bit, which will uh, wow. happen again this fall. So busy wow. in Nevada. Mm. Yeah, wow. actually, one okay, of the things so- in Nevada, I'm, uh, one more touch no, no. I'm also down here. We have a major mining company that's actually going through and looking at a, a large number of our projects. Uh, phone last week, signed the CA. They're down here. They're in Thomas. <laughs> in his first week, is heading the field to go through uh, a number of our projects, which is exciting for the other 13 which are uh-huh. the ones that we would probably drill next year, the year after, but always open for uh, deal flow. Oh, sure. Absolutely. And might maybe be able to monetize them uh, with some kind of an action or deal or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, okay. More, so uh, opportunity for our shareholders. So what about the Exodus property? It's That's in the Yukon. Where does that stand now? Oh, not in British Columbia, sorry, not the Yukon. Oh, I'm so, sorry, British um, Columbia. Again, the two front. Yeah, the two projects, in, as I just mentioned in Nevada, are both permitted, ready to go. So, in British Columbia, just north of Prince George, next to a highway, next to infrastructure, power, um, basically a little forest inside of, outside of a farmland uh, in an area that had a recent logging road. We acquired the project July 21st of this year, did some geophysics, did a two-square-kilometer soil grid, uh, did some trenching, did some channel sampling. We're just getting the final bit of assays in probably this week and probably should have some good news. I don't like talking about dates, but probably within the next week or so, really kind of defining uh, what our model is. Again, we don't want to just put out one grade here, one grade there. Build mm-hmm. your model, share it so that the shareholders and investors clearly know what they're looking at. Mm-hmm. That'll come out. Uh, we're waiting for permits for that program. And we're also uh, looking and uh, to complete and in the middle of an early engagement agreement with the local uh, First Nations Corporation, which have been really supportive of what we're doing. So looking to potentially get that program drilled this winter before winter really sets in. But we got two projects being drilled in Nevada in the next couple right. of weeks. Mm-hmm. Exodus. Well, we're cashed up. Good. So you got the money, and you've got the drills turning, and lots of things for investors to keep their eyes on. Uh, you should have some news flow then early in the new year, I would think, drill results and so forth, possibly. Yeah, well, absolutely. We'll, we'll finish off these boat show programs in late November, early December. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we'll just count the weeks. And right now I'm seeing the labs in Nevada and British Columbia in about six to eight weeks. So I would mm-hmm. estimate, okay. you know, second half of January, early February, we'll have all the drill results coming out, um, and we'll still have... You know, quite a bit of money in the bank right now. We have about 2.8 million in the bank currently. We have about 1.7 million of warrants in money. In addition to that, 64.7 million shares outstanding. Great shareholders. Eric's brought new institutions from the U.S. and Europe just recently invested, and uh, the market's uh, waiting. So here we are. Good. Excellent. Well, very good, Peter. We're um, we we are out of time now. Anything else? You, Thirty seconds that you might want to add. Just keep your eye on no, the story. The, I think one triple eight number. Yeah, keep out for the news. We'll be having lots of news flow. Phone the one triple eight number. It goes right to my cell phone. I answer everybody within an hour. Email me. 
I try to be as transparent as possible for every single shareholder, no matter how many uh, shares you have or you want to buy. So thanks oh, again. That's wonderful. I really appreciate the time today. Oh, absolutely. That's wonderful and very kind of you to make yourself available to shareholders like that. I appreciate that. Uh, all right. Well, thanks, Peter. We'll, we'll look to keep up with you uh, in, in my newsletter, of course, my own uh, interest as a shareholder and for our listeners as well. So thank you so much for being with us again. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now. Uh, we'll be talking to Jeff Deist when he comes back. He's a former, formerly the chief of staff for president, uh, presidential candidate Ron Paul and also uh, now heads up uh, the Mises Institute. He's the president of the Mises Institute. Jeff will have some very interesting things to say about the current political and economic uh, situation uh, when we come back with Jeff Deist. Voice America is available on your Google connected device. Okay, Google, play Turning Hard Times into Good Times podcast on iHeartRadio. Try it today. NV Gold Core, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTC, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi million ounce gold deposit in North America. With an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2020, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors including Eric Sprott, a globally recognized technical team, technical coverage from industry gold experts, and cash in its treasury. Visit NVGoldCore.com to learn more on this exciting story. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. Really pleased to have a good friend of mine, Jeff Deist, with us. Jeff uh, is the president of the Mises Institute, and uh, it's an educational organization that I highly recommend, Mises.org. Uh, it's a place you should go to and uh, to learn about, uh, you know, uh, to learn about things that are really happening now. I, I used to think of the Mises Institute more uh, as, as an intellectual uh place a place to go for for you know for theories about economics uh, Austrian economics primarily very very solid if you're of that ilk if you're the kind of person that really wants to understand why things are happening the way they are why things are the way they are Mises is great but I think um, more recently the Mises Institute has really started to do more things in terms of um, real time real time stuff and so it's uh, really great to have Jeff with me thanks for joining me again Jeff well, Jay, thank you, and maybe that's because it feels like we're in a decidedly anti-intellectual age right now. Well, it sure is, Jeff. I mean, why why would we need to think? Why would we need to question anything? We have, we know where the answers are, right? You know well, where the answers are. The, the problem is, is that, you know, facts are immutable things, and so we want to bend existence to our will, and that's especially true 
in the area of politics, where I think there's an entire sort of third way movement going on where organizations like the IMF and what we might refer to colloquially as the Davos crowd, in other words, really yes. wealthy elites who are sort of supranational in their orientation, uh, believe that we can have uh, you know, capitalism and socialism blended together. And this is nothing new. There's always been what we call third way thinking, but it's, it's very much in vogue. Uh, people talk about it in terms of this vague amorphous term called neoliberalism, which we might er, define as a certain amount of respect for markets and capitalism, but also a very strong safety net, an egalitarian cultural and legal code, and uh, a lot of the accoutrements of modern progressivism. I think it's an absolute disaster waiting to happen. I think that human nature hasn't changed. Mm. And so at the end of the day, uh, property comports with human nature. Uh, um, and the state can never respect or uh, utilize property in the same way that rational individuals can. So it's it's a sort of a dim age in a sense. And I hope I get up every day and I hope that the Mises Institute is playing at least some small role in providing first principles and a lot of content to people who who are interested and and hopefully also reaching new people, creating new people. Mm-hmm. I have an idea that. Um when the fecal matter hits the rotary oscillator, as they say, that there will be a lot more people that will be interested in answers. I hope there are. Uh, you would think that you would, I, it seems to me there's too many people, at least in the ruling class, among the elites, among the Davos crowd, as you say, that are quite happy with the way things are. And Jeff, if we look at the uh, the impact of this blend towards more and more socialism, away from free market capitalism, what we see is a disastrous a disaster, a disastrous allocation of income and wealth to the top one tenth of one percent. I saw the other day one tenth of one percent owns sixty percent, or owns as much as sixty percent of the population at the lower end. And uh, you know this gives the Bernie Sanders and um, you know all the Marxist crowd, the AOCs, and our vice president uh, elect uh, a lot to talk about. We just need to take from the rich, right? And just I don't know. I mean, it, it hasn't been working. It, um, or, or maybe they'll what they'll say is, well, it's Trump's tax cuts that's caused it. My, I don't know. What are your thoughts? What, why, why do we see such a, a spread in the in the uh, in the wealth in Amer- of Americans and the income distribution? Um, and and then I'd like to you know focus on the topic of today's show, America's economy under tyranny, because it seems to me with COVID nineteen and every other excuse that comes down the pike. Our liberties and our freedoms are being taken away. Your, your ex-boss, Ron Paul, used to say, if we are free, we'll be prosperous. But if we're not free, that suggests that we're losing our prosperity. But, but maybe just comment on some of those ideas. Well, because of what's happening, I do think that the Bernie Sanders and the AOCs have a lot of ripe commentary about inequality uh-huh. and other problems in society. And yeah. they're, they do make a point. There is yep. a class of unjust wealth in this country. That's absolutely true. What mm-hmm. they don't get right is the why. Now, yeah. the, the, the biggest driver of inequality in our society or any society in human history at any time is, is based on the non-neutrality of money. So mm-hmm. if your listeners would just take a moment to look up the Cantillon effect, uh, they will understand that when new money is created or current money is debased, it does not flow through society evenly. There are people who get that new money sooner, and there are people who get that new money much later when prices have adjusted, and we call that inflation. So 
with a money that is hard, uh, with a money that's sound, which is a money what, you know, where the annual supply cannot be increased much at all relative mm-hmm. to the existing supply, mm-hmm. what you find throughout human history is a happy combination of technology and just the human drive for betterment creating deflation. And as Jim, the great Jim Rickards says, deflation, I'm sorry, not James Rickards, I'm James Richards, but Jim Grant, as yes. the great James, James Grant says, deflation is another word for society getting richer. Uh-huh. So everything in human history points to deflation. Everything that central banks and uh, Western governments do today is designed to fl- fight deflation and create inflation. And at the root of all that uh, uh is the driver of the engine of inequality. That's why there are bankers and the uh, Davos set getting very, very wealthy in our current age. And of course, when you shut down business activity, you mentioned lockdowns, when you shut down the mom and pops, uh, that is probably going to inure to the benefit of the Walmarts and the Amazons uh, and the targets of the world. And we've seen just that. We've seen the stock market among a select class of stocks do actually quite well uh, here towards the end of 2020. And we've seen an awful lot of, uh, you know, destruction at the local and mom and pop level. So, again, everything that's happening is making inequality worse. I'm afraid our friends on the left don't understand. The, the, they might understand slightly the diagnosis, but they don't understand the prescription at all. Mm-hmm. And so that is going to lead us into uh, experiments like MMT, modern monetary yes. theory, which actually animated uh, the Bernie Sanders campaign and you're going to see people just imagine that there is something new about money, that there's something new about human nature, which can be commanded or engineered or legislated, and that we can somehow get something for nothing or something for not much. And that's what's so frightening, and that's what we have to fight against. Yeah, well, Alistair McLeod has pointed out that the, uh, uh, the Mississippi bubble uh, that took place, is, uh, and what we're doing now is exactly the same, and that we're setting the trap for the same disaster, but the Cantillon effect, that's, uh, how do you spell that, Cantillon, C-A-N-T-E-L-O-N? C-A-N-T-I-L-L-O-N. Um, what is it? C- C-A-N-T-I-L-L-O-N. Uh, C-I-L-L-O-N, that's right, yes. that's right. Yes, yeah, I've read after. about it, yeah, yeah. And, and Alistair has talked about it as well. Yeah, I don't think people understand this, that the reason, that the reason for this redistribution of wealth, and, and you know, why are the counties around your, where you used to live when you were in, in Washington, you know, Virginia keeps getting to be more and more of a purple state. It's now a, it's now, it's now a blue state. Uh, because why? Because money goes through the government. The government gets bigger and bigger. It creates money out of nothing. It redistributes wealth from the people that create it. I like to say the farmers, the manufacturers, the miners, the inventors, the people that actually do things that are good for us. Then it flows to the people that have connections with the government, the closest ones to the pig trough, I like to say. Money is created out of nothing. And so you get this a reverse of a egalitarian uh, distribution that we had in the 50s and 60s to a great extent, right? Yes, and healthy societies are marked by a growing and a burgeoning middle class. Right, and we're seeing the opposite. Right, we're seeing the opposite. And of course, the, the middle class today lives far better than the wealthiest Americans did 50 or 100 years ago. Sure, Things that that's true. you and I take for granted uh-huh. uh, would have been absolute luxuries to our grandparents or unthinkable to our grandparents like a like a, a smartphone. So yep. this, this is the process we ought to be encouraging. But, you know, when, when nobody can, can trust money, then, and nobody can earn interest on simple money, mm-hmm. then it, it forces even, 
modest investors to uh, involve themselves in what we might call the financialization of the economy, where things are more and more about moving money and mm-hmm. creating capital gains mm-hmm. rather than actually be ha- creating a more productive economy where good, better and better and more and more goods and services are created more and more efficiently so that average people enjoy a higher standard of living. There's no shortcut to a more productive society and more money and credit uh, can't give us more or better goods. Yeah. I'd like to uh, ask you to speculate a little bit on what might happen if um, if the if Georgia gets picks up both the Senate seats and we have a a government that's entirely run by the Democrat Party, uh, they have said, uh, I, I would say the the so the the left the far left or the Marxist I like to say they are uh, they seem to be uh, Marxist within the Democratic Party that really want to do a whole lot of things. I would think that Kamala Harris comes pretty close to that description. They want to get rid of the Senate filibuster. They want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to get rid of the Electoral College. They want to add uh, two more liberal states into the United States, giving the Democrats another four liberal senators. Uh, give voting rights to 16-year-olds. Um, can they do that sort of thing if they control the Senate? Are all those things possible? Well, they're possible. I'm not sure that that's going to happen. I don't know too much about both of the Senate races in yeah. Georgia. So that's sort of a, a point. But it's certainly not healthy to have this regime uncertainty between now and January, I guess, when they hold their runoff election. Um, the, the bottom line is that they can do whatever they can get away with. We have to disabuse ourselves of this idea of the rule of law. In other words, yeah. the filibuster was an important mechanism in the Senate for a long, long time for the very reason that we think the Senate ought to be a slower and more deliberate body than the House, which is uh, accountable to voters every two years. So they were designed to have a very different approach and very different purposes. In fact, uh, of course, for the, for the beginning of our country, senators were appointed by state legislators, mm-hmm. not elected by popular vote. So that's an important distinction, too. And I can recall, even in my own experience, uh, as, as, as recently as the early 2000s, there was still a difference between a senator and a congressman or a congresswoman. In other words, they tended to be a little more refined, a little more intellectual. Oftentimes, let's just be mm-hmm. fair, from a richer or more Ivy League background, a, mm-hmm. sort of a better pedigree. Mm-hmm. And there was, a, there was a difference in tone and tenor and style mm-hmm. uh, in the Senate. But then the Internet comes along and basically turns the Senate into something uh, more akin to a free-for-all where a lot of former you know, U.S. representatives go over to the Senate side and they, it becomes far more politicized. And so we're, we're reaping what we've sown in the Senate. What we wanted to, uh, what was originally created to, to act as a check mm-hmm. on the passions of the House uh, doesn't do that anymore. And, you know, Jay, when you look at some of these races, they poured $75 million into trying to beat Lindsey Graham in South Carolina. 50, I heard 100 well, $50 million into trying to beat a center in Montana, of all places. I mean, <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago, people were spending $3, 4000000 million to win yeah. a Senate seat. Now yeah. it's 50 or 100 Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the idea of having these checks and balances, this is one thing I think so many of the younger people don't understand. They're frustrated because uh, there always seems to be a stalemate between the House. Like, like, for example, Democrats are very frustrated with Mitch McConnell for various reasons, um, you, you know, and, 
and they and they think he's not acting fa- uh, in a fair manner in various ways. But the uh, but the founders put these these checks and balances in place. They didn't want to have uh, an extremely efficient, powerful central government, did they? They wanted to have they wanted to make it frustrating frustrating for government. They didn't want government to get too powerful. Wasn't that the idea of all all of these things? I mean, the supreme. Uh, I mean, the, the dangers to me of, of losing, of having the Supreme Court essentially becoming an arm of the legislature, if that were to happen, would be extremely damaging to the... Ch- I mean, what would be left of our checks and balances if that happened? Well, I think nothing would be left. And I think you would uh, see very quickly uh, that uh, federal edicts became the law of the land and that states became nothing more than glorified counties. And we've been moving that way for over 100 years, yeah. I think certainly since the 14th Amendment and the end of economic substantive due process. But uh, now I think we're, we're witnessing one of the big accelerating moments. And if, mm-hmm. if uh, Biden is able to get the Senate his way and they are able to add a couple of states or uh, Sup- Sup- Supreme Court justices, then I think you'll see that uh, in full flight. And it's, it's, you know, the idea of it is, is very simple. A significant portion of this country believes in an activist government that's designed to protect us from harm and give us money and get things done. And hopefully, you know, significant but still minority of this country believes that the purpose of government is to secure rights. So those Mm -hmm. two worldviews are just incompatible. There's nothing we can do about it. Exactly. Exactly. I think that's why there's so much division in the country. And, of course, uh, you know, uh, personal personalities aside, it seems to me that we go to the very basic worldview of what is a government supposed to be about? What is it supposed to be? And the founding fathers believed it should be very limited. It should be, uh, of course, there was a reliance then on, you know, natural law or your own perseverance, your own talents, or a belief in a higher being. Uh, And, of course, higher beings are not something that powerful governments really want very much because they get in the way of the government being the highest being, right? Absolutely. They compete with the state for people's loyalties. Mm-hmm. That's, why, that's what religion is, is it's um, another form of authority which competes with the state. Right. Well, but the state can become a religion in, in itself. It, I, I would argue that it is a religion among leftists right now. Oh, no question. I mean, all, all the trappings are there. The um, no. unexamined claims that are, you know, the, the cult leaders, the, uh, the scripture and doctrine yeah. It's it's all there, and especially the sort of fact-free, faith-based fervor yes. by which people believe uh, in their side. Mm-hmm. And we're not allowed to have anything. Uh, we're not allowed to have any any uh, any discussion to the contrary right now. The controls are right. certainly there by uh, by the major social media. They are drowning out uh, anybody that wants to go against this deep state or this this religious. Uh, order that uh, that the Davos crowd are trying to impose on us? Well, I mean, we can certainly see on the horizon a day where if you don't have a particular worldview, or at least you don't keep it yourself, maybe you're religious, maybe you uh, want to raise your kids a way that uh, doesn't teach evolution, maybe you don't believe in abortion, maybe you don't yeah. believe in all kinds of things. Um, it, it's not hard to see a day where um, you might be denied certain employment, you might be denied access to banking. You might be denied access to social media. Your kids might not be allowed to enroll in a certain school. You might not be allowed on an airplane. Mm-hmm. You might not be allowed in and out of national borders. So, you know, what you have in effect is, is a form of 
Orwellian censorship where the imposers of that can say, look, you're free. You're free to have your retrograde ideas. You're just yeah. not free to do it and, and to have them and do X, Y, and Z. And so what that means is that while you're not literally in jail, perhaps, for your, for your thought crimes, the, the world and the opportunities and the possibilities around you shrink down uh, and, and sort of entrap you in the cell. And so this is why we have to, I think, promote and value First Amendment rights uh, oh. you know, above all and without mm-hmm. apology and without compromise, because that is something that is certainly, uh, you know, that along with the Second Amendment has been one of the really defining characteristics that has kept America uh, in a state different than that of Western Europe today. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly uh, we can count on the Mises organization as long as you're there, Jeff, I'm sure, to continue to uh, to speak the truth as you see it, as, as the Mises folks see it. Uh, with just a couple of minutes left here, I do want to, I would like to ask you to talk a little bit. I mean, it seems to me that you've got, I haven't kept up with the Mises with your organization as much as I should, I must confess. But it looks like I'm, I'm seeing a lot of interesting things there. Uh, how There's an article there, how easy money creates uh, the boom-bust cycle, Frank Shostak, who we had on this show years ago. Uh, there's a brief history of non-white slave owners. My goodness, I didn't think there could be such a thing. Isn't it only white people that enslave people of color? Uh, you have that. So there's a lot of interesting things there. Um, free market orientation, Mises uh, that understands, I think, the way the economy really works, the way people really work, uh, that are free at least. So um, I don't know if you'd like to just just say a little bit about what you're doing at the Mises Institute with a minute and a half left. Well, I think our number one project is to teach people about money. There's nothing more important. Um, Money is at the root of whether or not we're going to be prosperous. It's also at the root of whether or not we can continue to finance these endless wars overseas. So um, you can't separate money from war and peace. Mm -hmm. Those are, you know, they're, they're intertwined. So I would say that's, that's really our job. Number one. And beyond that, we want to look at, at uh, the economics of things like COVID. We want to look at the economics of, um, you know, elections. We want to look mm-hmm. at the economics of things that are happening in society because, uh, again, this idea that there's some new third way or that there's going to be a new economics. No. We don't say that there's a new physics or a new math. I guess no. we, we haven't said that yet. So um, <laughs> we're really trying to, to puncture myths and disabuse people about probably the bad economics they've learned. All right. We'll have to leave it go with that, Jeff. Thank you so much for being with us. Always a pleasure to have you, and we'll look to do it again sometime soon. Well, folks, that is it for this week. Next week, Lynn Alden will be with me, uh, Corwin Co. of Sitka Exploration, and Mark O'Rourke of Cassier Gold Corp. Until then, goodbye, and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Benchmark Metals is an advanced gold-silver exploration company that is rapidly advancing its Canadian gold-silver project to a production decision. Benchmark is nearing completion of its largest program to date, with up to 100,000 meters of resource expansion and definition drilling in 2020. 
The multi-million ounce potential project is expected to have a new mineral resource estimate and PEA study completed in 2021. The company is backed by the Metals Group management team and believes this aggressive program will be complemented by one of the strongest commodity bull markets in decades. Visit BenchmarkMetals.com and subscribe to follow their success.